Welcome to the Creativity Algorithm Podcast, the show that helps people and businesses have good ideas more often. Now here is your host, psychologist, author, and public speaker, Joe Swope. Hello and welcome back to the Creativity Algorithm Podcast. Today we got a great episode. We have Todd Dilbeck. Um, and let me read Todd's little blurb, and then we're going to kind of get into the meat of it and uh, bounce around some ideas, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be a great episode. Todd was an educator for 24 years, mostly teaching psychology courses. He was also a longtime wrestling coach at the club, high school, and collegiate levels. After a significant injury requiring surgery and a six-month rehab, he decided to return to school, earn a graduate degree in sports psychology with an eye on creating a second career. This led to a private consulting practice, an opportunity to work with the U.S. Army Special Forces at Fort Liberty, and most recently, a position at a, as a mental performance coach with the Philadelphia Phillies organization. So with all that, hey, Todd, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Joe. Good to see you, man. Yeah. Uh, for those of us who are, uh, for those, those who are listening and watching, Todd and I kind of go way back with parallel and crossing careers as uh, psychology instructors, and we've met at different conventions and stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of <laughs> where we are. So uh, shared a nerdy practice there, didn't we? <laughs> yes, yes, we did. <laughs> we won't tell everyone how nerdy it is and, and stuff, but that's cool. So uh, Todd, if you want to tell people about you, I mean, I know I gave the, the little intro blurb, but yeah. if you want to tell folks about yourself or your practice, what you're doing now, you know, please let us, let us know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I did the blurb clearly gives an outline of where I've been, what I've done. Um, and I think at the heart of it, really what it comes down to is I have been driven and I had this awareness in adolescence. I have been driven to um, kind of invest myself in helping other people become their best self. And it, it sounds kind of murky, I think, but I think for a lot of us that, that have gotten involved in education or coaching and that kind of stuff, that's really what it comes down to, right? Is that for me, that was my own way to perform is to help other people find their path, you know, kind of um, figure out how to get through the challenge and the difficulties that are part of it. And and it's just a, a deep current that runs inside of me. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. You, and you had that in adolescence, that self-awareness, that's impressive. Yeah. Well, I, and it stumbled across it, right? So what happened was um, my high school wrestling coach in his own selfish way, was trying to grow his own team. Mm -hmm. And so he created uh, an elementary school league. And the way that he got coaches for that is that he asked us to volunteer. And so we would get like volunteer community service stuff for that. And uh, so I started when I was 15 and I fell in love with it right out of the gate. <laughs> this is awesome. That's you know, I, clearly it was a sport that I loved, uh, but it just clicked. I was like, this is great. You know, I, I get to compete, but I'm helping other people at the same time. That's cool. That's really cool. Good for you, man. So, all right. I, we talked a little bit in the blurb. How did you, so when you kind of had your second career and now you're yeah. a performance coach, and if you wouldn't mind, please talk a little bit about your, your practice, your, your company, talk, tell us a little bit about how people, and, and we'll put this all in the, in the post show notes, you know, okay. how do people get in touch with you and what you can do for them, but please talk to us. What do you do? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing, right? So the elevator speech is, Hey, you know, I'm a mental performance coach. And as soon as you say that people look at you sideways, like mental, because 
the stigma that is hung around mental, right? And the negative stereotype that is created. Um, and trying to use the term sports psychology almost sounds too clinical for people, right? But they're both reality. <laughs> and, and what it is, is um, having an academic background in what psychology really is all about. And then kind of pushing the other side of the spectrum, right? Like mental health issues, clinical issues, those are a needed thing, right? Working with people who are struggling with depression or personality disorders, right? And they, they can range from mild to extreme. Social relationships, right? These, these kinds of things. Sports psychology, performance psychology, mental performance, we're looking at pushing the other boundary, right? How do we enhance all these things? How do we actually encourage people to go to environments that by design, are tough and difficult, right? How do we get people to kind of meet themselves within when they have that struggle and learn how to grow through that, become something better on the other side? Um, and for me personally, if you can get the opportunity to work with people who want to keep pushing that edge, it gets really exciting, right? That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. So, what would you say? And this, this this thought just came to me. Um, you know, I don't. I, I maybe you have, and I, I bet a lot of people have because there's zillions of them out there on YouTube, inspirational videos. Um, mm -hmm. And it's usually with some you know really buff uh, people doing athletic stuff. And there's the right. idea of well, why would you need a coach? You know, people can do it on their own. I don't agree with it, but what would you say to that? Right, right. Um, <clears throat> some people don't. Right. There's a, there's a hard truth there, too. Right. There's those radical outliers who just kind of figure it out. Um, but I would say coaches have existed for a long time because there is a significant validation to it. Okay. Right. Coaches tend to have perspective. Coaches tend to have wisdom of experience. Uh, coaches tend to have an expertise in an element that's helping whoever that person is become more right and there's also the reality that no matter who you are um you're gonna hit your own wall right whether you're an athlete you're a student you're a professional in in some kind of organization um you're gonna bump into things that challenge you and there's an initial reaction that that's hardwired into us as human beings that when we get into those moments the safety mechanism is to step back Mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. possibly just completely recede right right go in a different direction and that means you're no longer facing the challenge you're not actually getting better instead you've withdrawn and what a coach does is kind of helps you meet that right they give you some instruction they give you uh, the perspective and the wisdom and they guide you to go ahead and take on that obstacle and really weather the storm of some of the, the failures that are going to have to happen as you learn through that. That's powerful. And, and, and you and I have both been uh, teachers of, of high school kids yeah. and college students and, and failure, I think is now become something we all should run away from. And that's, right. you know, that's not true. Um, right. I, that's, that's some pretty powerful stuff. I'm not, you know, I was like, wow. Um, I know that I've dabbled in different athletic, you know, as, as I'm getting older, I try to keep in shape and I find that I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, I go to the gym, I yeah. know enough and right. I putter around right. and a couple while back. Yeah. I hired a trainer 
and it made all the difference. And right. I just think that's powerful. <laughs> yeah, the I'm wisdom like, and the knowledge, right? Absolutely. Like, why why are we so arrogant to think we know it all? Because, <laughs> you know, just powerful stuff, man. That's really cool. Yeah, and I would say right there, a lot of people will kind of mask that, right? And, and say, oh, it's arrogance. It's not actually arrogance. It's fear. Okay. Right? If I go out and I do this and I'm wrong, I've just made my fear real. Okay. You know, where a coach can come to you and say, yeah, you're right. You don't know. Let's try anyway. Right. Awesome. Let's, let's go ahead and tackle that animal. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's so <laughs> cool, man. All right. So let me ask you this. Um, when, when a, our mutual friend, um, and, and, and if you're listening and I may, hopefully, hopefully he is going to be listening to this. If Scott's yeah. listening to this, our mutual friend, when he first told me you were doing performance coaching, um, I of course thought athletes, I thought sports. And so, you know, that's not all you do. So talk about the transition between that and other types of improving for folks. Yeah. I I think formally academically, this branch of psychology started out with sport population, right. With athletes, with teams. And we've documented our own history on this. Uh, It goes back to the 1920s and then really started to become something in the 1980s. Um, and I think it's just because sport is that place where on purpose and intentionally it's pushing those boundaries, right? That's the nature of competition. And I tell people all the time, sport's the only place where you're challenged to failure on purpose and then told to go have fun. Right. Right. right? That's, cool. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> it's kind of a backwards dynamic. Yeah. But that's what we tell kids. And uh, <clears throat> so as, as we've done all of this research, you know, and done all of these studies and gained the wisdom through applied practice, what we've recognized with our sister branch of organizational psychology is that there are a lot of dynamics that we share with other realms of psychology. And so with that being said, because the, the theories, the practices, the interventions, the coaching stays consistent, that means all you have to do is know how that knowledge base, that science adapts or flexes to fit the context of the person that you're working with right so you know like with the military they're combat performers okay what they're doing is training to an extremely high level right special forces they're they're training to an extremely high level with ridiculous pressures that legitimately not only threaten their personal life but have international political consequences it's a tremendous, that's, that's much more than trying to win a game. Wow. Right. And, 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 but the theories of practice don't change, right. They still have to have exceptional focus. They have to be able to stay on task and, and trust the process of the training. They have to have an intention of the goal without letting the goal define who they are. Uh Right. And when I just outline it like that, that fits for doctors, surgeons Uh that would fit for, um, you know, people starting a business, right? Those dynamics don't change. What happens for the the coach, the mental coach, is that you have to do the groundwork to know the environment and the context that you're working in. Wow. That's, that's so I can't imagine mm-hmm. the advanced prep work you have to do. It's not just you go in as the sage and start running your mouth. You got to know what you're doing. Right. Right. That's incredible couple of things he said in there, like focus um, and the, the balancing between the end goal and the process. Yeah. So, you know, I'm all about 
trying to help people have good ideas more often. And we've all had good ideas. And when mm-hmm. you do that eureka moment, that aha, it feels so good. Right. We want that more often. And I, you know, I, I've identified what I'm calling relaxed engagement or distracted engagement is the way to allow that mental zone to happen. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm talking about is, is the zone, the flow state or something okay. that we've talked about. How do we, as you, you kind of hinted in, in, in your last, last couple of minutes, how do we walk that line between mm-hmm. wanting that relaxed, confident zone? But then wanting it so much, we get right. in our own way. What 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 do you think? Yeah, <clears throat> um, it's the famous psychology answer, right? It depends. I'm <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so frustrated. <laughs> right. So um, I think it, what you really have to to focus on first is why are you trying to be creative? Right. Like, what is what is this supposed to turn into? what is the goal, right? right? To overuse the term. Um, if it's simply to have something expressive and creative just for the intent itself, getting more towards that relaxed side and kind of opening up your aperture a little bit, mm-hmm. right? That's a positive thing, right? So I think like artistic work, sure. um, music competition or composition, um, there, there are obvious examples where these happen. Uh, spur in inventions, right? Where, where all of a sudden somebody just has this idea come to them, right? And, and those things happen when people are relaxed, but there's also an element of pressure to it. Okay. That either this person perceives that there's a need for this creativity to happen or occur, right? Um, and so they kind of like, they get stuck on that. And if they can step away from it, detach from it and relax it, it doesn't mask it over or go away. It just hangs without pressure and you'll get that spark. Okay. But if the intention and the goal is to come up with an absolute solution, pressure actually works in that space. You have to embrace the pressure and let go of the worry of failure yeah that's powerful it's it's almost like you run to it yeah and and i think as you said earlier most of us and i I clearly put myself in this category we are hardwired to not want the pain not want the discomfort and so you know at what you said embrace the pressure not fight against it and i'm sure there's a whole bunch of poetic euphemisms we can come up with but that's powerful. I think as the military says, you know, embrace the suck. Yeah. Yeah. Just because, and that doesn't mean that those who are artistic um, poets or painters, they're not any less mentally tough than no. someone who is sweating it out 80 hours a week in a boardroom or someone who's on a field pushing their last ounce of energy. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I'm glad you bring up the military there because here's here's kind of a unique crossover that's happening. Um, we're seeing a lot of special forces combat veterans from these wars in the Middle East that we've experienced. They are finding solace in creative activity. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they're learning to play instruments, they're painting, they're sculpting. They are doing really cool artistic work 
to kind of switch over that energy that's stuck within them that was about that hard drive and that, mm-hmm. that really difficult space, right? And then with the pressure too and having a definite goal, like one of my favorite scenes ever in the movies is um, uh, from The Right Stuff, right? Okay. Where, you know, they've, they've got a problem, right? They're not sure yeah. they're going to get that capsule back to Earth. Yep, yep. And they... They put all the scientists in that room and that big box of junk and they dump it upside down and say, figure it out. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. figure it out. And so it's that run to danger where they just kept going through iterations as fast as they could. Yeah. That's cool. And, and I think, you know, for I, I've talked to a lot of writers and I've talked to a lot of painters and they're afraid to get started. They have writer's block. I think because they're afraid of, you know, put so what if your first paragraph isn't good, but at least right. you wrote it. And that experience itself right. was fun. And yep. I think they want their first draft to be their best draft. That's just Bingo. not going to happen. Right. <laughs> and that's where the goal becomes the defining thing. Right. Yeah. And you're so focused on the outcome that you start to inhibit your ability to just engage and do it. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, one of my favorite phrases, and I would use this a lot when I was at Fort Liberty and, and talking to guys, is just be the thing, right? Like oh. if you imagined yourself six months down the line and you were at your goal and you're on this mission and you're doing that, what would you be doing today? And they're like, oh, I'd be out there doing this and that and that. And I'd say, great, do that today. Wow. Yeah. Who cares? Who cares how good it is? Just do it. And guess what? Tomorrow you're going to be better because you did it and, and you're just going to keep getting better. Yeah. Six months down the road, you'll be really good. But just yeah. be the thing now. You want to be a runner? Go run today. Yeah, you're, no one's going to be a marathon runner in the first day. And that's what you just said is, who cares how good it is? got to stick with that. Taken out of context, you know, you know, but that's a – get started, man. Who cares how good it is? I'm going to make that a quote. That's awesome. Right. I, I can't think of any story where somebody did something exceptionally well and never had practice at it, right? <laughs> it doesn't work. It, right. it, so, yeah, here's, here's a great example, right? I'm reading yeah. this book right now, The Obstacles of the Way by okay. uh, Ryan Ryan Holiday, who interestingly graduated from the same high school as my son. Um, but it's brilliant. I just read the, the chapter um, on kind of giving in to difficulties, right? And here, Thomas Jefferson, extremely smart guy, you know, very thoughtful and, and philosophical, but had a speech impediment. Hmm. And though he loved politics, could not orate. So he wrote. He chose the path that worked to communicate ideas and messages. Um, But he wrote so much that when it came time to do the most significant thing he's ever done, he wrote the Declaration of Independence in one draft. Wow. It wasn't the first time that he wrote. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm reading, um, now it completely uh, slipped my mind, but I'll put it in the, the show notes. Um, the idea that Martin Luther King's uh, I Have a Dream speech, he ad-libbed a lot of that, but that's because since he was a teenager, he was a public speaker. Right. So like Thomas Jefferson or like any great athlete, it's the the years of practice and grinding it. And for those who are creative, good ideas, you, know, you can't have a good idea in an area where you have no experience. You got right. to put in the work. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's, that, that's pretty... I mean, if we could have a good idea um, with no experience, all of us would invent time machines. Right. But you right. Know, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah. Would I don't I don't know. Maybe we'd mess something up. Um, yeah. All right. Let me let me put you on the spot. Sure. When's the last time you had a good idea? Doesn't have to be earth shaking. It doesn't have to be right. a patentable invention. Right. Um, wow. Well, goes back to psychology. Uh, it depends. Um, yeah. yeah. How would you define good? 
right? That, right. That's... I'm going to define it is it comes with that naturally pleasurable self-actualizing, whether it's a brief fraction of a second. Ooh, that felt good. Yeah. Uh, like a sense of fulfillment in a way? Yeah. Or, yeah, or ooh, I, I want to that it it comes with pleasure because all of us can have a good idea that an idea that stresses us out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my bias, right? Because for me, the work that I do, a lot of my good ideas are really stressful Mm -hmm. um, because it's highly competitive performance oriented stuff. Um, Let me pause you there. Good stressful or bad stressful? Um, It's always perspective, right? You stress is because you think that there's um, a worthwhile to this, right? That, right, that right. there's a reason that you're working towards the stress. Distress is because you think things are going to be catastrophic or threatening or dangerous. Um, and so really you've got to define that for yourself, right? Kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. That's, that's one of the reasons you need a coach. Like, yeah, this is stressful. Well, why is it stressful? What do you want on the backside of this, right? Now, now you have to decide, is that worth the stress to go through? Right. Um, so I, I would say yesterday, uh, I just, <laughs> and it kind of lines up with this, right? Like that, um, one of the players on our roster, uh, I just haven't had a chance to talk to him a whole lot and the guy has been doing really, really good. And he just walked by and I was like, I'm just going to be friendly today. Like I don't have an agenda. I'm just going to be friendly. And it turned out, it turned into, uh, like a 15 minute in-depth conversation about how he views his performance and how he goes through this process and how he would like to coach younger players at lower levels to the same idea. And it all happened because I had a good idea. Just be friendly here. Just be friendly. That's powerful. So you weren't worried about the goal or the angle or what you can get out of it. You just all about the process. Just in the moment. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you were in the moment, what happened if I, I don't know if you can remember, and most of us can't, what happened right before you had that good idea? What was your mental state? What were you doing? What were the conditions? Yeah. Um, for me in that moment, I was just observing, just paying attention, um, which is, I think, 80% of the work. If, if okay. you're going to do anything applied in psychology, 80% of the work is observation, whether that's visual or auditory, right? You're just... You're yeah. gathering in information from the environment that you're in. And so I was out there just watching guys um, do training, just just do what they typically do every day. I had the intention of watching for some specific things that I knew certain guys were working on. Okay. Um, and so what I noticed is for that one player, he did something in practice that day I had not seen him do before. And it was completely intentional. And, and I was like, you know, I'm just kind of curious. I'm just going to be friendly. And if it shows up, I'll just ask him another question. Right. And, and like I said, it just kind of mushroomed from there, but, it, but it's because I was present and observing. Cool. If I had a specific agenda for more than that, my aperture would have shrunk too narrow. Yeah. And, and he might've sensed it. He might've oh, yeah. sensed he wanted something. Oh, and well, yeah, the- that's the thing about high performers. They are highly attuned to who's watching and why. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. You, I, I like what you said about ob- observation is, is being such a huge thing. What if, and I'm come, throwing out this, what if we extended that to being able to observe oneself, one's mental set, their emotional being, for lack of a better word, mindful? Yeah. 
um, being self-aware. Um, it's a good thing. This, this, or, or are we getting in our own heads then? You know, we're like, wait, am I right? Right. So yeah, I love this because this is like a, a, a deep dive into the world <laughs> of, of sports psych right away. Um, so even in our own practice and, you know, the, the field of sports psychology, you'll get kind of this back and forth on what is better, right? Having an external focus or an internal focus. Um, and I, I always come into those arguments like, well, it depends, guys. Like, <laughs> what? You have no one. is No, it's not. It's what is the situation? What are we doing? If you're trying to learn something for the first time. Being inward focused, self-aware really, really helps, mm. right? Because you bump into the clunkiness, right? Like you watch infants get to their feet for the first time. They're not paying attention to the room. No, They're cool. hyper-focused That's cool. on how to lift a foot and place it down. But once that movement pattern becomes implicit, Heads up, and they're scanning. They move around, will twist, right? They'll, kids will dance. That's cool. That's an external focus at that point, right? And so it depends because you have to know what is it I'm actually trying to do here. And that middle ground becomes that awareness of when do I start to go inward? Like what things happen around me or what kind of events occur that cause me to go back inward and lose my focus on what's happening around me? Right. And that's where getting back to, to task focus becomes really, really important. Hmm. Right. Like if all of a sudden I'm just getting swallowed by my own emotions or I'm over focused on executing this specific skill. I've lost my focus on what the environment's telling me to do. Right. And that's wow. when you see like hitters will get tardy. Shooters will miss the target. Mm -hmm. Right. Because. Mm -hmm that inward focus, all of a sudden they're so hyper aware of how they're moving and how they're holding something that they, they are tardy to detect the stimuli in the environment. Yeah. And, yep. But once that skill is learned, push it back out there, trust your skill. Right. And, and, and narrow your focus to the things in the environment that actually matter, know how to discriminate from the things that don't matter. Um, and that's kind of where that crossover point happens for a lot of people. That, that's powerful, man. It's such a balance beam to walk. Um, oh, you know, yeah. such a balance beam to walk. Right. You know? <laughs> so, all right, let me, next tough question for you. All right. Um, are you create? do you think you're creative? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's tough because people, no one wants right. to say yes, because we're all supposed to be modest, but I'll throw <laughs> it out there. Uh, do you think you're creative? Hell yeah. Nice. <laughs> I own that. Nice. And I, nice. Anybody who says they're not creative, I'm going to knock them upside the head, right? <laughs> my wife, my wife drives me nuts. She is so creative. She will buy old furniture, like refinish it, just, just redo this stuff. And then she'll send me pictures and I'll share it with some of the guys in the clubhouse. They're like, my wife would buy that. And I'm like, I, yeah, my wife is extremely creative. And so I'll get back to her and say, God, hon, that was so creative what you did. Oh, no. No, that wasn't. I didn't create anything. What? <laughs> what? I think it's because culturally we narrow down our definition of creativity, right? That it has yeah. to be this invention, yeah. right? That we've done something nobody else has done before, right? That we we painted off a, a blank slate and created this amazing thing. 
yeah. we, we typically categorize it as as art. And that's that's such a narrow perspective of creativity. Mm-hmm. Creativity or, or something that will lead to money or fame or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Be careful of having an artist's fame, right? It only comes when you're dead. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I, but creativity is really just being able to have a different perspective. Yeah. Right. Can you step to a different angle and see something in a way you've not seen it before? Can you apply things? Right. And it could go back to our nerdy roots. I mean, this is this is Piaget. Yeah. Right. Assimilate and accommodate. Yeah. It, it doesn't stop in childhood. You want to keep that process going throughout your life. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, shoot, if if you've ever been out in your garage and had to work on something and didn't have the right tool and knew you didn't have the time or money to run down to the, the many times the hardware store many, and like, many throw times. down two hundred dollars, right? Yeah. You take the tools that you've got and you use yep. them in a different way. Yep. That's creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And and not to go off on a complete tangent. One of the things I found is that creativity and play are so interwoven. But right. as adults, we stop. We right. stop playing. I got a good friend um, who bought he's, – he's a gentleman of our age and kind of out of character. He bought himself a scooter for no reason whatsoever. And I'm like, rock on, man. Just <laughs> – right. You know, I think we all get so serious we forget to play. Right. Yeah. So I'll give you two good examples where this really becomes important. Um uh, Penn State wrestling team, right? Mm-hmm. So they have won nine of the last 11 national championships. They're amazing. And when you hear the interviews of their wrestlers, they'll always say, oh, we have fun. You know, Coach Cale Sanderson, he makes things fun. But if you've ever talked to Cale Sanderson, you'd think something's wrong with these kids because I don't think I've ever heard Cale Sanderson laugh. Okay. He is so stoic and highly competitive. But when you get the opportunity, especially from my lens, get the opportunity to watch them in their drills and how they work and what they're doing. They take a specific skill set that they want to work on and they make it a game. They say, okay, for the next five minutes, you know, we've got wrestler A, wrestler B, wrestler A. Your task is to try to catch the front knee, right? I'll oversimplify it, but you're trying to catch the front knee of your opponent. If you're wrestler B, your task is to use your hands to not let him get to your knee. That's all there. It's very simple instructions, mm-hmm. but they've put constraints on the environment so that it doesn't go wide open. Right? They don't fall back to old skill sets or habits. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're challenging them to be creative inside the constraint. Cool. And these guys are amazing because they drill that way. It transfers to competition where they don't look rigid. Instead, they look very relaxed, very fluid. But as an old wrestling coach, when you kind of like break down their guys over the years, you see there's a common thread of technique. They're just each adept at getting to that technique in their own way. Right. So that's a a sport example. Creativity. Have some fun inside constraints. Google on purpose for a long time paid their employees to have free work time. Yep. The constraints were, what's your idea? You get all the freedom to work to that, right? So you don't just waste time doing nothing. You've built your own constraints. You have this idea. You have this goal. You want this thing to be this. 
and now you just get to go play with it and you get to use our technology that yeah and then they get all kinds of inventions out of that right mm-hmm. so that's that's a great way to use creativity it's not just wide open blank no pressure the pressure is there is a goal there is an intention mm-hmm. and there are some constraints but you have flexibility and freedom to go through the iterations you're not afraid of the failure because you're told just go see if it works and so it lets them go back to childhood and have some fun with it that's so cool yeah it's i wish and we could all wish for whatever but for management um for all of us who have jobs whether we're self-employed or have a boss we need to build in i don't know how to call it playtime we need to build in a low pressure just explore but too yeah. often we're understaffed under resource we're go 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 and we can't pull back a little bit as you said with yeah. the penn state or the google example so yeah <clears throat> yeah well i think what happens is <clears throat> Sometimes you'll get into an environment where it almost gets mandated that you produce something out of this. Yes. And so now you've taken away um, the freedom to embrace the the mistake process, the failure mm-hmm. process, mm-hmm. because now there's this expectation, this overarching expectation that something must come out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think that's what Google's done really well is they, they don't say, hey, you have to have something producible. They just say, go work on it. Let's yeah. know how it goes. Right. I mean, you, you know, as anyone, as well as no one bats a thousand. <laughs> you just can't yeah, do it. No, no I mean, way, no. <laughs> no, no one, no one bats a thousand in this. And, and maybe it's a social media thing, especially for talking to our younger, younger folks is everything. It feels like everything we do is monitored. So right. it feels like our mistakes are magnified and you right. and I have talked about, it. I don't have a magic answer. And how do we say for lack of a better word, screw it. Oh, Who I'll cares? tell you what. I'll tell you what, um, for the savvy adults that listen to this show, uh, read Adam Grant's last two or three books. Love Adam Grant. Oh, my God. He, he has such great examples about small communities who just fail forward. Yeah. Right. And they celebrate each other's failures. And they, they kind of make light of that. But the whole purpose is. They want to feed the effort, right? Yeah. So it's 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 just great demonstrations of positive psychology. Like, hey, man, yeah, here was your intention. Here's what you tried to do. Heck, yeah, you failed, but you <laughs> went for it. What did you learn from that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's, I don't know, you, you know, we could talk about society's ills all day long, but yeah. when someone does make a mistake, a public figure, whether it's an athlete, man, people are on them and tearing them apart like piranha. Right. I don't know. I haven't right. met anyone as perfect yet. Right. Well, we were talking before this started right, about education and the change that's happened. Right. And, and I think everybody in their own lifetime will be able to see and say that about education or politics. Right. But if you look broad scale and, and I'll stay with education as an example, you go back to ancient Greece. There was no standard definition of education. Right. You didn't walk around with a publicly created diploma that validated this you simply went and paid an educator to be a coach to be a teacher right socrates goal wasn't to get you a diploma it was to get you to be a thinker Mm -hmm. because if you were a great thinker you would contribute to society your evidence of practice was the proof that you were educated right that's cool 
you move that forward to today, what we have done is the opposite of what I said with Google's free time. There is an absolute standard of what an education is. We have all of these standards at the federal and the state level, right? And they're just locked in and don't let people fail. You, you've taken away all of the really necessary things for getting better. Yes. There is no celebration of fail forward. There is threat of don't fail. Yes. And now you've locked people up. That's, I mean, wow. <laughs> Couldn't say it better. And, you know, wow, that's some good stuff, man. I'll tell you what. I mean, I would talk all day, uh, but I think that our listeners are probably going to be pretty tired of us. So maybe we can, let me let me ask you this. I'll put yeah. you on the spot. Uh, right. Would you want to do this again in a couple months? Because I really enjoyed this. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool, man. This is some good stuff. Um, <laughs> before we sign off, can you and I'll put this in the show notes again, you know, the, the postscript stuff. Tell people how they can get in touch with you. Tell them what you can do for them, you know. This, please, you, you've been generous with your time, so let us know how we can yeah. get in touch with you and what you can do for them. Sure, um, and I appreciate that. The easiest way is probably to go to my website. It is sportsycoach.com. So S-P-O-R-T-P-S-Y-C-O-A-C-H.com. Um, and then all my contact information is there. I've got you know several different pages on the website that explain the different things that I've um trained myself to be a coach in doing um and it ranges from working with athletes to students to adults or even parents of students and athletes um and yeah it, it's just the easiest way to get a hold of me um and again it goes back to your first question you know who am i what am i about and it's just that that deep thread inside me of i like to perform by helping other people become their best self and whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. That's powerful. You know, I wish we had more, more folks who are uh, that <laughs> as, as focused on other people uh, as, yeah, as they are yeah. themselves. Right. Well, well, Todd, man, it has been a pleasure. Um, yeah. I'm going to hold you to it. I'll, I'll give right. you a call. Maybe, maybe in a couple months, I'm going to reach out and we can, we can do version two of this. This is so cool, man. Right. Uh -huh. Appreciate it. That's fun. All right. All right, everyone, I will stop recording now, and Todd and I will keep chatting after I hit stop recording.